Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. We appreciate you being here. Well, we have reached the end of our time in the Gospel of John, at least for now. That may be a preview of 2022. But we've read 24 truly, truly statements along the way. Some were familiar and others were new. Some were straightforward and some were confusing. But in their own way, each of these statements helped us get a better understanding of who Jesus is. And while we didn't read every verse in the Gospel of John, or even from every chapter, I think we leave with a pretty stunning portrait of Jesus. He is the Word of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, teacher, Messiah, the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, Son of God, King of Israel, the prophet, the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, and the way, truth, and life. Again, quite the portrait, isn't it? But before we read the final truly, truly statement in John chapter 21, we need to briefly consider what happened in chapters 17 through 20. We ended last week in chapter 16. Well, in chapter 17, we see Jesus' high priestly prayer. Before Jesus is arrested, he prays for both his disciples then and also for those who would believe in him through their word. So in a roundabout way, Jesus prays for you and for me in John 17. John 18 records Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is betrayed by Judas, abandoned by his disciples, bound by soldiers, interrogated by the high priest, and unjustly condemned by Pilate. John 19 brings us to Jesus' death and burial. He's rejected by his own people, crucified like a criminal, Buried by a man named Joseph of Arimathea and honored by Nicodemus, someone we saw way back in chapter three. And then in John chapter 20, Jesus rises from the dead and appears to his disciples. He's witnessed first by Mary Magdalene. He's rejoiced over by his disciples. But then he's doubted, but ultimately worshiped. By Thomas. Of course, that's just scratching the surface of John 17 through 20. A quick summary like that can hardly do justice to what takes place in those chapters. But it does give you a quick taste of why the end of the Gospel of John is often called the Book of Glory. Now, as we pick up this morning in chapter 21, we see Jesus' third post-resurrection appearance to his disciples. But there's one disciple that John really focuses on at the end of this book. And that's our old friend, Peter. Remember him? The last time we read about Peter specifically was in John chapter 13, starting in verse 36. We read there. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, 
Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. In John 21, the disgraced and fallen Peter is lifted up by the risen Christ. And we can learn some valuable lessons from that story ourselves. So open up to John chapter 21, verse 1. Feel free to use the Bibles here if you didn't bring one and take one home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for the past ten weeks of spending time in the Gospel of John. Thank you for John and his witness to Christ. Thank you that we have four different Gospels that we can look to to get this incredible image of who you are and what you've done. Thank you that we don't have to guess about Jesus' identity. We don't have to speculate about what Jesus did. We have so much laid out in front of us in these four Gospels. And I pray that no matter how many times we read these Gospels, no matter how many times we think we've heard the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, I pray that we would never cease to be amazed by who you are and what you've done. And Lord, I pray that as we consider this interaction between Jesus and Peter this morning, uh, that we would learn something ourselves. Uh, that in a way, we can all relate to Peter. Uh, and in the same way, we can all relate to the, to the grace that you show a sinner like Peter. So Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we finish out the Gospel of John this morning. Thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of your church, uh, the privilege that we have to gather here as brothers and sisters in Christ, all indwelt by your spirit, and worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, starting in John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, Do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments For he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, 
for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Some people interpret this scene of the disciples fishing as an admission of defeat or a lack of faith. They're going back to their old jobs of fishing for fish rather than fishing for men the way Jesus told them to. But to assume that the disciples had abandoned their calling or given up on Jesus just because they went fishing is reading too much into the text. The disciples are simply in a holding pattern of sorts, waiting until they receive the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. That's when the mission truly begins. And come on, until then, a man's got to eat, right? But when Jesus first appears, he is unrecognizable. That may sound strange to us, but this isn't the first time it's happened. When Mary first saw Jesus at the empty tomb, she didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. When two disciples talked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, they didn't know they were talking to the risen Christ either. Now, why is Jesus's identity concealed at first? We're not entirely sure. Maybe the resurrection had some impact on how Jesus looked. Maybe the disciples simply couldn't tell who he was from 100 yards away at daybreak. We don't know for sure. But it's almost humorous how the disciples respond to the random stranger offering unsolicited fishing advice from the shore. If they had known that it was Jesus, they might not have offered that short, cranky, one-word answer in verse 5. No. But then Jesus reveals himself through a miracle. After a long night of not getting any bites, 153 fish fill the disciples' net. For some reason, that detail, 153, has fascinated Christians for generations. Early Christians like Jerome thought that 153 might represent all the species of fish known at the time. And that somehow symbolized how people from all nations were going to come to believe in Christ. Okay. Noted math dork Augustine observed that 153 is a triangular of the number 17. And there are ten commandments and seven gifts of the Spirit. Okay. Cyril of Alexandria wondered if 100 represented Gentiles, 
50 represented believing Jews, and 3 represented the Trinity. Because why not? But the point isn't the number of fish. The point is that somehow the net doesn't break. Perhaps this is a preview of how the disciples' great commission will not fail either. Tons of people will come to Christ. And we see that in the book of Acts. Now this miraculous turn of events causes John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, to recognize this stranger. But Peter's the one who responds. His enthusiasm is obvious. He jumps in the water half-clothed, swims 100 yards to Jesus, and doesn't even help bring in the catch. He's got bigger fish to fry. Jesus makes breakfast. Might seem like an insignificant detail, but even after his resurrection, the master still stoops down and serves his disciples. Of course, at this point, they all knew it was Jesus. No one dared ask. Now, what exactly is the purpose of John 21? Some wonder if this chapter may have been a later addition to John's gospel. I mean, it could have just ended with chapter 20. Why didn't it just end at chapter 20? We already know that Jesus is alive. On top of that, he's already done plenty of miracles. He has nothing left to prove. So why is this chapter even here? Well, John 21 may seem unnecessary to some. But as we read ahead, we see just how significant these events are to Peter. Turn back to John chapter 18, verse 15. This is right after Jesus is betrayed and arrested. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. There's one. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Jump down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? Peter denied it and said, I am not. Two. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, that's a doozy of a story if you want to read that, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. There's number three. Those verses record what was surely the darkest, most shameful, 
and quite frankly, most sinful moments of Peter's life. He denied the Son of God right after claiming that he would lay down his life for him. In Matthew 10.33, Jesus says that whoever denies him before men, he will also deny him before his Father who is in heaven. Peter did that not once, not twice, but three times. And it all took place around a charcoal fire. Chapter 18, verse 18. And wouldn't you know it, What does Peter find when he reaches the beach? Chapter 21, verse 9. A charcoal fire. Just imagine the memories running through Peter's mind at this moment. How does Peter feel as he smells that smoke? The sound of that rooster's crow may still be ringing in his ears. All the guilt, the regret, and the embarrassment must have come rushing back to him in that moment. Do you think this charcoal fire was a coincidence? I don't. Chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. And how many times did Jesus question Peter? Three. By verse 17, it appears that Peter understands what's happening. He grieves. And can you blame him? Being reminded of your sin hurts. But the short-term pain is for Peter's long-term good. Jesus is recommissioning Peter. He's getting him back in the saddle. Even after his most egregious sin, God is not done with Peter. There's still work to do. But there is a catch. And we see it in the truly, truly statement of verse 18. Peter's second chance won't be easy. He will no longer be Lord of his own life. 
One day he'll die for Jesus. Legend has it that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy of dying in the same way that Jesus did. Back in chapter 13, Peter insisted that he wanted to follow Jesus even if it cost him his own life. But in chapter 18, Peter denied him. Well, here, Jesus calls Peter to follow him again. But this time, all the way. Some refer to chapter 21 as an epilogue to the Gospel of John. Some question its authenticity, its legitimacy, or its necessity. Well, I'd suggest when you reach the pearly gates that you don't tell Peter that. In 1 Peter 5, Peter tells church leaders to shepherd the flock of God. I don't think Peter ever forgot that conversation with Jesus over a charcoal fire. Now that's all well and good for Peter, isn't it? But what does John 21 teach us? Well, first, let's remember the basic lesson of that truly, truly statement in verse 18. That we Christians are not lords over our own lives. Jesus is not just our spiritual consultant, our get-out-of-hell-free card, our go-to guy when we get in trouble, our divine blessing vending machine, our eternal errand boy, our savior who we throw a bone to twice per year at Easter and Christmas, or even our co-pilot. Jesus is our Lord. He sets the overarching agenda for our lives, not us. It may be useful to ask, what would I do if Jesus appeared to me right now and told me that I must die for him the way he did Peter? Well, in a way, he kind of already has. John chapter 12, verse 25, we read there. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We do not live for ourselves. We are not our own lords. All of our goals and dreams and hopes and aspirations, they may have their place, but at the end of the day, Jesus is Lord. He sets the agenda not us. Second, we learn from John 21 that our Lord is exceedingly gracious. He gives sinners unmerited favor. Peter failed big time, multiple times. But while Peter may have denied Jesus, Jesus did not deny Peter. We all have failed to. We are all sinners. And we will all inevitably fail again, even after we believe. But never forget that our Lord is gracious to sinners. Just ask Peter. And third, we learn that our Lord calls us to repent. 
In John 21, Jesus hurts Peter. There's no way of getting around that. The sights, the smells, the questions on that beach must have felt like a knife turning in Peter's chest. But in the words of the Puritan preacher Richard Sibbs, God wounds us to heal us. He wounds us to heal us. Like a skilled surgeon, Jesus brings Peter's sin into view and then calls him to leave it behind. That's what repentance is. Jesus graciously but firmly calls Peter to repent. He wounds him to heal him. It hurts Peter in the short term, but it restores Peter in the long term. Repentance is never easy. It wounds. It is not fun. It is not pleasant, but it is necessary. Because it also heals. It is for our good. And with repentance comes grace. Now Peter would go on to follow Jesus as he was called to do in this chapter. And it would be for real this time. Peter really does feed Jesus' sheep. He tends his lambs. He leads his church. Peter ultimately dies for Jesus. Now, Peter would make mistakes again. There's an example in Galatians 2, if you're curious. But Peter would repent again. And he would experience God's grace again. And when Peter was tempted to fall back into old sins, which verses 20 through 23 may be an example of that, the Lord would remind him, you follow me. You follow me. May we go and do likewise. May we also follow Jesus rather than trying to be lords over our own lives and set our own agendas. Even if following him leads us to some dark places. And when we stumble, which we undoubtedly will, may we remember that our Lord is exceedingly gracious. The cross proves it. And may we not be afraid of repentance. Repent may sound like a scary, outdated, fire and brimstone kind of word to many in our day and age. But our Lord calls us to repent for our good. Owning up to our sin hurts in the short term. But bringing it to the cross heals us in the long term. Again, just ask Peter. In John chapter 21, verse 25, we read, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You know, I'm all for getting a bird's eye view of books of the Bible. We do that a lot here at Prairie View. However, there have been times throughout this sermon series when I've been genuinely bothered 
by how much we didn't read. How many passages we skipped over, how many chapters we didn't examine, because there wasn't a truly, truly statement in there. So it's oddly comforting to know that even if we had picked every word apart of this gospel, we still would not get the full portrait of Jesus' glory. Because he is just that great. However, I hope we've read enough of this gospel to accomplish the goal that John set out in writing it. The verses we've read before, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I pray that these words have brought us all those things. And that by believing in Jesus' name, we may have life. And if we already believed, I pray that the words we've read in the Gospel of John have only further bolstered that faith. And that we would truly, truly follow him. All the way. Like our old friend Peter. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the people in your word that you have worked through. The people who you have shown grace to. The people who we read about their stories, we read about their lives, we read about their successes and their failures, their great showings of faith and their showings of sin. And thank you that as we read about these people, we find them so relatable, whether it's Peter or, or someone else. And Lord, as we look at Peter this morning, I pray that we would be encouraged and inspired to follow Christ as he did. There's certainly a place for looking to examples of fellow believers to help us along in our own faith. But Lord, thank you that ultimately your word only has one true hero, and that is your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that because of the crucified and resurrected Christ, that people like Peter, people like us who fail and fall and sin and stumble and mess up, sometimes over and over again in the same way, can still find grace can still find forgiveness. So Lord, help us repent of our sin. Help us bring our sin to you, bring it out into the open, so that it can be dealt with. That you can restore us, that you can heal us, that you can make us more like you. That you can help us follow you all the way to the end. Even if we die for you, Lord, I pray that we would follow you. Thank you for the Gospel of John. Thank you for this opportunity to read this book over the past 11 weeks. And like we read in chapter 20, I pray that we might believe these words and that we might have life in your name by faith in the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that for everyone in this room, that we would all call upon your name in faith and believe that you sent your son to live and die and rise, and that one day he will come again. 
Again, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.